0: and their American dream. Thank you to the sponsors of To Dine For The Podcast, American National, and Spiritless. To Dine For The Podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. For 115 years, American National has remained committed to helping people and communities make a real difference in their lives. American National supports great local community organizations led by the kind of people you hear about on To Dine For, people who are inspired to make a difference and inspire others in return. American National's philosophy is helping where it's needed helps us all. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write, and the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com dine. Spiritless supports the conscientious cocktailer who wants to live fully but drink differently. Their signature Kentucky 74 is a distilled, non-alcoholic spirit for your favorite bourbon cocktails. It's zero alcohol, zero guilt, and just 15 calories per serving. Whether you go completely spiritless or go sees with a foolproof bourbon to lower the ABV in your cocktail, you can get your bottle today at spiritless.com. Use promo code TODINEFOR to get free shipping. Welcome to To Dine For the Podcast, where we meet the world's most creative and innovative minds at their favorite restaurant. On today's podcast is ABC News journalist and author of 10% Happier, Dan Harris.
1: You know, as it turns out, the good news about the human condition is that we're not stuck with our current traits like factory settings that are unalterable. We can work on them through meditation and other modalities. And so for me, I don't know how to quantify how much happier I am now, but it, it's a lot.
0: Dan Harris is a veteran news reporter for ABC News. He's covered every imaginable story, including multiple war zones, mass shootings, and natural disasters. The intense and brutal pace of the news cycle caught up to him when he suffered a panic attack on air in 2004. It was that moment that changed his life forever and led him on a path even he couldn't imagine. Today, the author of 10% Happier is joining me to share his creation story and how he hopes to help you too. Thank you so much for being on this podcast. It's so nice to see you.
1: Pleasure to be on, thanks for having me.
0: Uh, I'm really fascinated by uh, the point in time that we're having this conversation because I feel like it is uh, sort of meant to be, and I'm sure you're feeling that with your new business, um, that people are more stressed, more anxious, more depressed, are dealing with more mental health issues than ever before. And the need for mindfulness and meditation has never been so great. So, where do we go from here, from this moment in time, when especially here we are, you know, days before uh, a political change in our country, um, after the Black Lives Matter reckoning? Uh, where do we begin?
1: In terms of applying meditation, or in terms of just how we conduct ourselves as a country?
0: I would say, how do we personally cope?
1: You know, I am an evangelist for meditation and increasingly just sort of an evangelist for pulling all of the levers possible for human flourishing. So it can, it, that can include meditation, but also, you know, other no brainers like getting enough sleep and eating well <laughs> and having um, positive relationships in your life, which I think is an often overlooked contributor to the human happiness. I'm an evangelist of all for all those things, but I'm not a utopian, And I don't know that doing this is going to solve all of our problems either individually or collectively. Mm. Uh, I you know, I think if everybody on the planet started to take these things seriously, yes, that would be a huge shift. Right. Uh, I just don't think that's likely to happen. That sounds a little dark, but I do think, two things that are less dark one is while taking care of your own mind taking care of yourself is not going to automatically solve all the towering problems we face it will help you navigate them more skillfully mm-hmm. and it will help you so in terms of your own inner weather it will help you and that will lead to you being a more constructive player in the world mm-hmm. and i think a, if a not insignificant number of us do this that can change the course of history in a positive way so Mm -hmm. i'm not a utopian but i think practically speaking if enough of us are getting saner (laughs) It will will have an impact.
0: (laughs) Right. I almost called this podcast a fork in the road because Mm. even though I interview people at their favorite restaurants, I've found with a lot of creatives and innovators, it has been a fork in the road that has changed their life and it has led to something really incredible of what they created. And for you, it started with a panic attack on air. Can you describe that and what impact it had on your life?
1: Yeah. I mean, there have been many forks. It's like a, a table setting with an appetizer fork and a main, an entree <laughs> fork. Um,
0: a lot of forks for you. <laughs> yes. Yeah.
1: And there have been forks subsequent to the panic attack, um, but the panic attack was a major uh, fork in the road. I was on the air on Good Morning America back in 2004, so a while ago. I was in my early 30s at the time, and I was supposed to be anchoring the news updates. That's the, you know, as a news anchor, uh, we used to have people on morning television who anchored the headlines every morning. While we had the main hosts of the show at that time, Diane Sawyer and Charlie Gibson, there was another host named Robin Roberts who would come on and read the headlines at the top of each hour. Robin is now the main host of the show, deservedly so. I was filling in for her on this morning. And so my only job was to read five or six headlines off of the teleprompter. And in the middle of it, I lost the ability to speak because my lungs seized up, my heart was racing, my um, palms were sweating, my mouth dried up. It was just pure, full-on panic. And after that, I went to a doctor to try to figure out what what was going wrong. And he asked me a bunch of questions. And one of the questions was, do you do drugs? Hmm. And I kind of sheepishly said, yeah, I do. And the backstory there is that I had spent a lot of time, again, this is my early 30s, I had spent a lot of time in war zones like Afghanistan and Iraq. After 9-11, I had subsequently gotten depressed. And then I didn't even really know I was depressed. And I did something incredibly dumb, which is I started to self-medicate with cocaine and other drugs. And even though I wasn't high on the air that morning and I hadn't even been using drugs, I don't think anywhere close to the day, my use, intermittent though it was, was enough to change my brain chemistry and make it more likely for me to have a panic attack. Wow! So that was that was a huge and this is
0: after a, uh, this is after a career on television and being very comfortable in front of a camera that this would happen to you.
1: Well, I don't want to overstate how comfortable I was in front of the camera. I made a joke. <laughs> I wrote a book called 10% Happier, which this was kind of the opening scene of that book and I admitted that I'd always been a li- quite nervous actually on camera and still am and I think I described my career is a triumph of narcissism over fear. <laughs> um, so, like, I really like being a TV anchor, reporter, and that trumps my you know, stage fright.
0: What really struck me about your book, because I did read 10% Happier, first of all, how funny it is. for To read a book about meditation, you don't expect it to be funny and enjoyable. And your book is really funny and enjoyable. But secondly, I was kind of shocked at how you painted yourself as sort of this ego anchor. And right. I didn't know if that was you, A, trying to be funny, trying to be self-deprecating, or being like dead on right, <laughs> <laughs> or maybe a combination of all three.
1: Yes, I think that's that's exactly right. It's a combination of all three. I've been, I think, correctly criticized by people in my life for falling back on a shtick of, you know, Dan the asshole. Using that as, like, just kind of a, a cheap and easy uh, description of myself and also in some ways like a, a, an excuse. Mm. And so I think there's some of that in the book. Mm-hmm. I also think it is true that I... Can be an asshole, and, uh, and but well, you so say that...
0: that you say that quite a bit in the book. But you're so funny and you're so self deprecating in how you say it that you find it almost impossible to believe that that's who you really are mm. as a as a reader. And so my question is: Did the intensity of the ambition, the stress, and the pace of the job? it was like almost like this perfect storm you covering natural disasters and wars this perfect storm that led you to the moment of the panic attack
1: yes i think yes. that's
0: right okay because i feel like as a country individually everyone is going through something and every it is a perfect storm of uh, situations for almost everyone right now and so let's begin at the beginning if someone is hearing your story and hearing about this ego anchor who really had a change of heart, a shift in his life. It took a while, uh, but it was a dramatic shift. Where can they personally begin on a journey? I don't want to say a similar journey because every person's journey is unique, but where can they begin and walk towards a life of more mindfulness?
1: I'll give you some options because, as you said, everybody's situation is unique, and I don't think there's some sort of easy formula here but starting to meditate which again is just one of the levers i think we can pull when it comes to taking care of ourselves but i think often an un a misunderstood one because people think it's some big commitment or some fancy religion they need to join or whatever so that's the why why i mostly emphasize meditation just because i think it's been de-emphasized for too long there are a bunch of ways you can start one is just read a book about it, and you know I'm partial to mine, but there are many great ones. I'll, I'll I'll name another one called Real Happiness by Sharon Salzberg, and and the kind of meditation I'm talking about when I talk about meditation is mindfulness, which is derived from Buddhism, mm-hmm. but is thoroughly secularized, stripped of any metaphysical claims or religious lingo. And this is the kind of meditation that's been studied the most in the labs, and it's been shown to you know reduce stress. Lower your blood pressure, boost your immune system, literally rewire key parts of your brain. So it's really interesting uh, what what the research shows. Mindfulness meditation, the instructions are really simple um, and we can go through it at some point, but you can read about them in a book or listen to a podcast and just do it. So that's one way to get started. And I, by the way, I don't think it should be, I started with five to 10 minutes a day. Uh, I don't think Mm -hmm. it needs to be some big commitment. I think one minute counts. Mm-hmm. And I think daily-ish is actually better than trying to do it every day because um, habit formation is really hard. And so giving yourself some flexibility is is likely to make you better able to stick with it. The, o- the other option is to, there are all these meditation apps. Um, again, I'm partial to the one that's called 10% Happier because I'm involved in it. But you know, there are. If you search under meditation in the app store on whatever service you use, um, you're going to find lots of meditation apps. I'm not aware of any of them that that is problematic. Uh, I think there are lots of excellent ones. So you should taste test, and they all have free trials or are just outright free, and so you can taste test. The third option, the final one I'll mention, is not available right now in the pandemic, but once this ends, and it will. In-person is a great way to learn. And most major cities in America now have drop-in meditation centers where you can go learn for yourself from a real live human being.
0: We'll have more on this conversation in just a minute. But first, thank you to our sponsors. To Dine For the podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. There's a funny thing about most insurance commercials, whether they feature lizards or birds or funny cartoon characters. It seems like they want you to think about anything but insurance. American National, on the other hand, has real local agents who get to know you so they can help you reach better decisions about your insurance to make sure you're protecting what matters most to you. American National agents are part of your community. They're your neighbors. So whether it's solutions for your home, your small business, your farm, or your life, you can count on your local American National agent to make sure you get the discounts you deserve and the protection you need without paying for extras you don't. With American National, you get an ally, not just a web page. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write in the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com dine. If you're like me, there are times when you want to feel like you're having a fancy cocktail, but you don't actually want the alcohol. So I love Kentucky 74 from Spiritless. It's a distilled, non-alcoholic spirit for your favorite bourbon cocktails but with just 15 calories per serving and none of the guilt you can pre-order your bottle today at spiritless.com use the promo code to dine for to get free shipping now back to our conversation you have shifted your career from you know the hard charging news environment to really spending a lot more focus on your business of 10% happier and an app what what has that shift been like for you personally just from a lifestyle standpoint and your focus and your attention on this business now?
1: Uh, complicated. So I wrote 10% Happier. It came out almost seven years ago. I did not think, I thought at best it would be mildly amusing and uh, mildly embarrassing and and then fade away. I did not expect it to be as successful as it was. I was genuinely and abidingly surprised. And it then kind of swallowed my life uh, in a good way, but not uncomplicated way. It It turned into an app where we teach people how to meditate. I have a podcast that's twice a week, also called 10% Happier. I do speaking, I, do, I get interviewed. Um, and for a long time, I was trying to do everything I could in my career as a newsman, right alongside all the stuff with 10% Happier. And I kind of ran myself into a ditch.
0: Yeah. And so
1: I had to start practicing what I preach and cutting back more at ABC News. So I, I was the anchor of Nightline. Which I fought for for years to get that job, and I walked away from it to to clear up space to do stuff for ten percent. So
0: obviously, this was this was more important to you. This focus, this business, yeah. was paramount. Why?
1: This is going to sound uncharacteristically woo woo, but um, I do I do kind of think it's like my job on the planet. You know, um, mm. I have through just sheer luck the I feel like the right combination of skills. And and, and and waltzed without any real calculation into this world of meditation and mindfulness that wasn't in many ways being communicated in mm-hmm. in the right way to, to folks who were skeptical mm-hmm. and I after several decades of learning how to talk to large audiences and people kind of had the right communication skills and a deep interest in doing the the actual work on myself as a consequence of having that panic attack so just like perfect storm to use the analogy that's come up a couple times it just seems like this is where i can be the most useful and and i just enjoy it that's not Ah. the the problem the problem for me is that i love the news too and so that's why that's one of the reasons why decoupling has been so hard because i I love being an anchorman, and I in yeah. particular love traveling around the world and doing big stories.
0: Mm-hmm. So, but you, this path has made you happier, more fulfilled, or would you say more than 10% happier? <laughs> Can we go with 20% happier? Yeah.
1: <laughs> One of the ironies of, of writing a book called 10% Happier is that I hate math, and I'm now <laughs> stuck with math jokes. <laughs> forever. Um, Sorry.
0: Sorry. I'm sure I'm like one of a million people have thrown that at you. So uh, I get
1: it every day and I don't mind (laughs) at all. I don't mind at all. But I I will say that I I have a hard time coming up with a witty rejoinder because I can't do the calculations fast enough. But I will say that that if you think about it, like the reason why I came up with 10 percent happier is that it's a good return on investment in the stock market. You know, that Mm -hmm. that's The only reason I was aware of generally And
0: it it seems realistic. Like, you can't be 100% happier, but maybe you could be 10% happier. And that's really all you can hope for in a day, right? So it seems like a realistic goal.
1: Yeah, I mean, that was a big part of why I chose it, because I was trying to counter program against some of the reckless hope that I think is peddled in the self-help industry, at least parts of it.
0: And I want to touch on what you just said, because I feel like one of your superpowers is your extreme skepticism that I'm, I get just from seeing you, from reading about you, seeing you on TV, from being a good journalist. Um, you said, if you had told me I'd become a Buddhist, I would have coughed up my beer through my nose. <laughs> but here I am. Yeah. When you became a, was it a religion reporter or what was the title? You were covering religion in this country, right? Yes. Yeah, yes. and I think your ability to uh, cover that topic which requires a healthy dose of skepticism but also to do it justice a little bit of belief to understand to put yourself in the shoes of someone who is an evangelical a believer that must have been such an a strange and interesting dichotomy for you because that was a world that was foreign to you and now when you look at your life you stand kind of squarely, you know, you're know, you certainly not evangelical, but you stand squarely in uh, the believer thumbs up that there is more to this world than black and white.
1: Well, first of all, I would say, you're absolutely right that, that I had been assigned to cover faith and spirituality by Peter Jennings. I think this was one of the things, it was so fortunate because it was one of the things that allowed me to be open-minded enough to explore meditation. Because I learned how to have like a kind of, I I heretofore had been a kind of reflexive, unthinking atheist, uh, Mm -hmm. hostile to religion. Mm -hmm. Um, Getting to know a lot of people of faith who were really smart and and really interesting and great friends made me more of like a warm or curious agnostic. And that, that, I think, opened me up to be open to meditation notwithstanding the fact that I continue to be skeptical and so while I would describe myself as a Buddhist I um I still don't believe in anything I can't prove Mm -hmm. so I'm firmly in the camp of we should have examined lives Mm -hmm. and for you if that takes you to places where you know you're you're you find metaphysical claims to be compelling I'm not going to try to disabuse you of those notions, but it's harder for me. It's a little bit hard for me, just as a, I, I would say probably, you know, the child of of scientists and I'm married to a scientist as well. And I was not good enough at math to do science myself, but I have a lot of respect for it. And I I just have a lot, of, I can't really wag my finger and, and argue for things that I can't prove, but I don't get offended when other people do it.
0: Mm-hmm. And the, I, I think for people who, come at meditation with that hard skepticism, your path into it would be the right path for that person. And that's a lot of people. Because mm-hmm. the people that are in your space, right, the Deepak Chopras, the Jay Shettys of the world, do not come at it with the skepticism that you have. And so I think people probably identify themselves with your Hmm, what is this? You know, does this really shake out? And so like your ability to bring that to their lens would actually be a way in, a door in. And I'm sure you're nodding your head. You're probably like, yeah, this is what I was talking about when I said, I now feel this is my purpose.
1: Yeah. Um, and that's why I was a little sheepish when I said it, because it can sound a little cheesy. Um, right. But, you know, there's a there's a lot of evidence that, you know, having purpose, having meaning in your life is correlated with happiness. And I felt like I was deriving a lot of meaning from journalism and continued to but I, I think something came along that ultimately is probably more meaningful. I, I said that I, I came up with 10% happier roughly because it seemed like a good a realistic return on investment. But if you think about like the stock market, that 10% compounds annually, you know, it's always growing. Mm-hmm. And that I think is what is on offer with meditation, mm-hmm. or the pursuit of happiness generally. It, these are skills that we're building the ability to be self aware, the calm, kind. These are skills. They're not, you know, as it turns out, the good news about the human condition is that we're not stuck with our current traits like factory settings that are unalterable. We can work on them through meditation and other modalities. And so for me, I don't know how to quantify how much happier I am now, but it, it's a lot.
0: Dan, you're sounding very hopeful and optimistic and not skeptical at all. What's going on?
1: <laughs> uh, I think it's inf- it is it is a hope that is informed by skepticism and evidence. You know, there's there's just research to back up everything. You look at the brains of advanced meditators. There's been a lot of work done here. Their brains are different. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a question about of causality. Were their brains different and therefore they're advanced meditators? Or did their brains change because they do a lot of meditation. But if you look at novice meditators, their brains are changing too. So it seems to indicate that we can do a lot. The brain is plastic and the mind by extension can change. That's incredibly helpful.
0: And do you have to traditionally be seated, quietly thinking to meditate? Or can there be other activities that are meditative that can have the same impact on the brain, like running, like tuning out when you're cycling? Is that also meditation?
1: Well, as it turns out, the brain changes in response to everything we do. The brain is like it's been described as the organ of experience. So mm-hmm. if you learn how to play guitar, uh, guitar or violin, the areas of your brain associated with manual dexterity will change. Mm-hmm. So, you're, you know, this is how you create habits. If you get in the habit of eating a bag of chips every day, like that, you're going to be neural pathways laid down
2: mm-hmm. that
1: make that uh, a tougher habit to break. The good news is the brain can change so you can create new habits and then they get dug in and then the 10% compounding effect can take place. So you can pick the upwards virtuous cycle or you can pick the downwards toilet vortex. It's up to you once you have the information and are taught how to do the practices. So for me, that's incredibly hopeful. Do you have to be seated formally? No, I think it really helps to learn formal meditation practice, because then you can apply it to your running, to your conversations, to your washing of the dishes.
0: I asked a very kind of complicated and very ethereal question at the very beginning of this podcast. And I think I think you just kind of answered it because the current state of our country is so heavy with ugh <laughs> in so many different ways, just heavy with ugh. And I think the idea... The very basic idea that change is possible for every single person is so hopeful and that we are not static. And I feel like that very woo-woo concept is hope itself.
1: Yes, I agree. That's what I was, I think, probably unskillfully trying to point toward, that you, there are a couple of levels here. You can take care of yourself. That will make you better equipped to engage successfully. And so that's a source of hope. And then also to know that if you can change, other people can too. And mm-hmm. it's, I again, I'm not a utopian. I don't think this is going to, you know, change overnight, but change is possible. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it can go in either direction. Things can, things and people can change for the worse too. But we all have responsibility for our own minds and we can change the way we are in the world. And that is not.
0: For you to step away from a career that you love, that you have ambition for, that you work so hard for, um, signals how much you care about ten percent happier. Um, I kind of referenced the big vision for what's next. Uh, what are you working on, and, and where do you see this going?
1: During the so there are a bunch of parts of this, but uh, I would say uh, one of the big focus areas of focus for me is is my podcast. Uh, going into the pandemic ten months ago, it was like a once a week affair. Now it's two and a half times a week actually. And so, and the audience has really grown. And I think that's because people are searching and confused and scared right now. And and so that continuing to build that is a big deal. And we're gonna start launching more podcasts hosted by different people and attacking different mm. areas within this space. Mm-hmm. The 10% Happier app is growing all the time and thinking about new content we create within the app. So for example, We have courses on how to create healthy habits, how to have better relationships. We're about to launch a bunch of courses on anxiety and we have stuff on stress. So things like that are really important. And then I'm writing a new book and it'll probably be out in two years. But for me, the biggest area of focus for me professionally is finishing this book, which will be a sequel to the first one.
0: Well, I can't wait to read it. It's funny because when I was official, when I first started to talk to your folks, hoping to set something up, I wanted to do it at your favorite restaurant, and um, you know, with the COVID and the pandemic, that didn't happen. But I believe it was one of the Jean George ABCV. Yes, was the one. Is it still? Is that still your favorite restaurant?
1: Well, I haven't been there in nearly a year, but yes, yeah. uh, there were two restaurants. Uh, I'm a vegan, and I, I hesitate to say that because people assume. Uh, I think people often have a negative reaction to it. I know I used to because as soon as somebody said they were a vegan around me, I thought they were judging me. But I'm a very <laughs> non judgmental vegan. My son and wife are committed carnivores, and I, uh, it's all good. I cook bacon for my kid, it's not a big deal. I just don't <laughs> eat animal products personally for the most part. So there were two restaurants in New York City that were my favorites. One was called Nick's, Nix, N I X. Unfortunately, that closed during the oh, pandemic. Mm. And then ABCV which is uh, Jean-Georges Restaurant is just an incredible restaurant.
0: And, and I can take
1: people who are like really into meat and, and they can get, they can be happily fed there.
0: Yes. The, just their the focus on fresh produce and what they, what he's able to do with the vegetables is mm-hmm. mind blowing. I know that that experience would have been, awesome. And it would have helped to tell your story. Um, but I really appreciate your time today, Dan. And um, I wish you the best of luck with 10% happier.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it.
0: Thanks for listening to to dine for the podcast. For more information on the show, the guests and the podcast head to todinefortv.com. tv.com. You can find us on Instagram at todinefortv tv and Facebook at to dine for with Kate Sullivan. Thanks to the sponsors of to dine for the podcast. American national and spiritless special. Thank you to producer and sound editor, John Golner. to the loyal followers of this program. Cheers, stay hungry and stay inspired. I'll see you back at the table soon.
2: Planning for your next trip, elevate your travel style with quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway. Like European linen,